Theme music, please. Aloha, I'm Mick Calber. And I'm Bruce Omari. And you are... On Hawaiian Time! (laughs) On Hawaiian Time is a podcast where Bruce and I talk story about life unfiltered here on the Big Island. Welcome to another episode of On Hawaiian Time. Bruce is joining me from his Extreme Exposure Gallery in Hilo. How's it? And I'm at home in Leilani Estates with my lovely wife, Anne. Aloha. And our amazing producer, Tim. Hello. So over the past three episodes, we've introduced to you uh, some of our family, family members. And on this episode, we're going to continue that trend. And on that note, I'll pass this over to Bruce so he can do today's honors. Today's guest is my cousin, Sage Takehiro. Sage is an English teacher at Kamehameha School in Keao, and she is also a member of the world-renowned Halau Okekuhi, based right here in Hilo. Welcome, Sage. Thanks, guys, and Anne. Hi, Sage. Welcome. Hey, welcome. I only learned of the word halau recently. I haven't been on Hawaii very long. Um, Sage, for people like me and mainlanders, could you just briefly explain what a halau is? So I'm going to chat you guys the word first so that you know how to say it correctly. H-A-L-A-U for people listening who can't see. Yeah, it's palau in Hawaiian. Lau can mean plentiful. Lau also means leaf, like the leaf of a tree um, or a plant, but it also just means plentiful. So halau um, basically is like a school for a specific type of thing or a specific style of that thing. So every, so you have like halau va'a, right? So canoe halaus, when you go down to Bayfront, you'll see all these different um, halau structures that house the canoes. And um, each halau va'a has like their own style of paddling. There are, there's halau lua. Lua is a form of martial arts. So depending on your halau, you'll have a different style of martial arts. And then there are halau hula, which, which are hula schools. Um, and each halau hula also has a different, has their own style of dance. And halau okekuhi would be what style of dance? Aiha'a. And what does that mean? So aiha'a is a specific style um, where it's a bent knee position. You're basically very low to the floor. (laughs) That sounds painful. Wow, that's... Yeah. I'm 72 and at my age that is painful. I'm impressed. But basically it's a type of... It's a... To aiha'a just means to... Um, humble yourself. Ha'a ha'a is like humility. Um, So the idea is that when you are physically lowering yourself, you're humbling yourself. Mm. And through that humility, you then receive the knowledge 
that you need to receive, basically. Mm. Cool. And stylistically, like for choreography, um, the choreography style of our of our our halal requires you to be in a bent knee position because it's very fast. Um, We're very fast dancers. (laughs) And so in order to execute the motions correctly and quickly, um, you need to be in a bent knee position. Other halau, hula, uh, halau hula, they they don't necessarily, there are certain mele, certain songs that they do that are in the aihaa style, but normally most of some of their basic steps may not necessarily be in that um, super bent position. So we do a lot of level changes when we dance. And um, many halaus do that and, and some don't. So, Sage, I've always heard that Halau Okekuhi is known as being the keepers of the Kahiko Hula. I think there are a lot of keepers of Kahiko Hula, Hula Kahiko. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're, yeah, they come from a specific genealogy of, of Hula keepers and, yeah, I, I wouldn't say we're like the only Halau that practices hula kahiko. Hula kahiko is basically just the style, the the traditional style. As opposed Mm -hmm. to hula awana is the modern style. But hula awana is based on hula kahiko. So the, the songs, many of the songs that you hear, some of them are new songs, but many of the songs that you hear, um, that are danced in the Awana style are actually modern renditions of traditional chants. Mm. And the motions are also modern renditions of traditional motions. Sage, how did you get involved with uh, Halau o Kekuhi? So I was, I quit ballet in like seventh or eighth grade. My mom was a ballet teacher um, and I didn't want to dance ballet anymore because I was you know, going through puberty and growing leg hair and I didn't want to wear tights in the hot, humid, Hilo weather. It was very (laughs) uncomfortable. So I was just over it. And then, um, so I went maybe like one school year kind of trying to quit ballet. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up like smoking weed and my mom (laughs) found my weed and oh. she was like, all right, you're either going back to ballet or you're going to hula, make a decision. And I was like, well, I'm over ballet, so I guess I'll go to hula. <laughs> and I did. Awesome. Um, so I danced throughout high school and then um, I left for college and then I came back. And when I came back, I I danced again. I went back to Halau. Actually, that was like one of the first things I did when I moved home for good. Like before I even saw, I saw my grandma. But other than that, before I even saw any of my family members or friends, I went to hula practice. I had the opposite um, happen. I was in ballet and my mother, um, I wanted hula so bad growing up in Kailua. (laughs) And so she put me in ballet for one session I learned my red poo, and um, I was so bad that she uh, put me back in ballet. So <laughs> I had the opposite <laughs> process of, of uh, <laughs> I was better in ballet. So that's great. Mm. 
Well, I find that ballet makes me a better hula dancer and hula makes me a better ballet dancer because they're both based on the same fundamental concept, Mm. which is this lower bent knee position. So ballet requires um, straight knees a lot more than hula does, but they both require the knees to bend in order to execute the motions. So Mm. they're similar in that sense. Yeah. You know, you say that there there are others halals that do kahiko, and I know there are, but I think that halal okikuhi is the halal doing kahiko hula. That's just my opinion. So um, I, I love you oh, guys. Oh, I wish I reviewed my notes, my hula notes. Um, <laughs> Auntie Nalani, actually, we've been having our hula practice under under our COVID-19 quarantine. Uh-huh. Um, has become Wine Wednesdays. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, since we can't meet to practice hula, um, we Zoom every Wednesday and we still have class, but it's kind of more of like a academic kind of a thing where we look at the history of our halal and different halals um, for specific things and chants and different types of chants. And so I'm learning a lot through that. And she um, actually in our first Zoom, in our first Wine Wednesday, she, Auntie Nalani talked about um, that genealogy of of the halal. I know this year we had to cancel Mary Monarch. I'm wondering what effect did that have on the halal? Um, that was the night we were supposed to open with Ho'ike was our first Wine Wednesday class. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we, we probably will do something. I can't say right now exactly what that is going to be or, or when it's going to be, but we are still, we're still learning and we're still expected to prepare our things as normal. (laughs) That's great. Look forward to that. Yeah, it must have been heartbreaking for some of the halal and the dancers because, I mean, you guys train for this event, I mean, like up to a year or sometimes even longer in preparation for a specific competition. So, yeah, it must have been hard. I'm sure it was hard for, especially for like the mainland halal, Mm. who fundraised and maybe even purchased their tickets and invested money into the trip. That's very unfortunate for them. But I think overall, everyone, all of the participants pretty much understand that it wasn't worth the risk because a lot of people in our hula community are... Um, Kupuna elderly, it was kind of strange because that's how you know that something is serious, right? Like if they cancel, like when has Mary Monarch ever been canceled? Thunder, lightning, storm, (laughs) we will dance. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Has it ever? It never has been, has it? Yeah, I don't think it's ever been. Canceled. It's never been canceled, has it? No. How no. long has Mary Monarch been going on? And just really briefly, for people who don't know, what is the essence of Mary Monarch? Well, they can Google it. Mary yes. Monarch. <laughs> good, good idea. That's like top a web, They have a website, and I'm pretty sure the website could explain it better than I can. I know that our halal competed a little bit in the 70s. Um, it started with, I believe, Auntie Dottie and Uncle George Naope. 
Um, actually, what the Merry Monarch essentially is, um, so King Kalakaua, when he was the ruler of Hawaii, he had like a birthday party that raged on for weeks and weeks. Um <laughs> And he just threw a huge party at the palace. And every day there were different dancers. So we honor Kalakaua because what he did is um, he basically held his ground in a time where missionary and foreign influence was increasingly patronizing the Hawaiian culture and the Hawaiian way of life and the way that we related to each other and the way that we related to our environment. Um, and so at the same time, we were being met with diseases. So the same kind of situation that we're going through right now actually mm-hmm. happened during mm-hmm. Kalakaua's reign, the exact same thing. You have, except people are people now are nowhere near dying at the rate they were dying at the time. So you have like thousands and thousands of Hawaiians just dying from measles, smallpox, plague, even the common colds. Um, so he was on a mission and his mission was to Ho'o'ulu Lahui, which literally means to increase the race. Now you can use your imagination and figure out how that works. <laughs> <laughs> we are a PG show. Uh, and he was the Merry Monarch, right? He sure was. And he was strategic about it. So genealogy in Hawaiian is super important. It's almost like they had genetic modification down to a science before genetic modification was even a thing. Because what they did was they strategically bred certain genealogies Hmm. um, to produce the future leaders. So, and and it wasn't just strategic as in who was going to hook up with who. It was strategic down to like the night that they would hook up, the place that they would hook up, um, the rock that they would hook up on, you know, <laughs> like it was very, very detailed. Um, wow. So he was on a mission and that's how we, his wife, Kapiolani, his sisters, Like Like and Lili Uokalani, they um, worked with the community to sort of get funding from investors. Lili Uokalani and Kapiolani traveled around the world, um, met different people. They worked in the communities. Kapiolani started um, the Kapiolani Maternity Home. And now it's called the the Kapiolani um, Women and Children's, what is it called? Medical Center for Women and Children or something. It's one of like the best hospitals to give birth at in the state. Like if you mm-hmm. if you have birthing problems, they send you to Kapiolani Hospital. Mm-hmm. So that hospital is um, is in Oahu near Punchbowl, um, downtown Honolulu. And she started that hospital because not only were they breeding Hawaiian children, they were also taking care of the mothers of the children and providing mm-hmm. a facility for them to give birth at safely and to rear their children. And then Iliuokalani later started a school for children. And then you have her Hanai sister, Pawahi Bishop, who also started a school for Hawaiian children. So there was this mass effort on the leadership of Hawaiians to not only restore the culture, but also to restore the Hawaiian race. So none of us would actually be here probably if it wasn't for that guy who 
basically looked around and saw all these Hawaiians dying. And he was just like, well, all right, let's do this. Let's make some Hawaiian babies, you know, and they even stashed some of them. There's a star advertiser. No, not it's not star advertiser. What was star bulletin? It was before mm-hmm. in the 50s. There was a series that came out called Hidden Ali'i. And essentially what had happened was the the missionary cabinet or the missionary party that ended up overthrowing the government, they sh- they first stripped Kalakaua of his administrative authority to make decisions by telling him, you're going to sign this constitution that gives you no right to make decisions without us. Basically, you're just here to sign the paper. And Kalakaua, he was a huge guy. He was known to just like shoot people in the head over gambling disputes. He was not a person to be intimidated. And so the fact that he kind of gave into this is suggestive that um, Lili Okalani writes in her book that the missionary party was was threatening for revolution. So the constitution that, that Kalakaua signed is called the Bayonet Constitution. Because he he signed it to, you know, save the people from a violent um, consequence if if he didn't give the power over to the missionary cabinet. Hmm, And so, yeah, it is pretty crazy. And so what actually happened in addition to the hospital is they ended up taking these families or these these secret elite kids and they took them to these hidden places. So like Waipio was one of them. We can talk about that later. Kauai, different parts of Maui. Like you have all these secluded, beautiful places in, on the islands, valleys. And and all these kids went and and were raised there. So That's they incredible. could be sort of hidden from disease, kind of like, you know how we're quarantining ourselves right now. Like if you're trying to raise a nation and and breed babies, you're not trying to raise them in downtown Honolulu where all these boats are coming in with diseases. Mm. So they they sent them out. Um, and a lot of Hawaiians today are products of that movement. Wow. It's really interesting. I mean, a side story to that that's kind of interesting and is my great-great-grandfather was a jeweler in downtown Honolulu. And he made David Kalakaua's coins and his buttons and his pins for his army. So, I mean, it's just kind of interesting to have that connection, you know. And and I love hearing stories about the part of Hawaiian history that I did not learn about in fifth grade, yeah. sixth grade in elementary school. <laughs> I mean, I love hearing these stories. It's, it's, a, it's a better, clearer picture. And so I really appreciate you sharing these with us. Yeah, we were taught so differently i mean uh, what was considered the true history uh definitely wasn't yeah it's called revisionist <laughs> yeah. history but, yeah but I, yeah, that's I think for sure. i believe yeah i believe the merry monarch festival was created in um wake of the uh 1960 tsunami uh, disaster in hilo I, I thought it was a way to um, it was an effort to bring back economic vitality to the town of Hilo because, you know, the town was ravaged. Well, that's exactly what it does. 
you have businesses yeah, in sure Anguilo who sure. make their whole year yeah. salary off of Mary Monarch. Yeah. <laughs> Not this year. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. such an important festival because just that event alone, I believe it's the most important cultural event in the state. And uh, it it uh, perpetuates uh, the, the art of hula, um, also music and the Hawaiian language. So Justin... That event itself, I mean, it, it's so significant to the Hawaiian culture. I mean, it's so beautiful, too. I mean, it, it's, yeah. But Sage, it's, the it's, story that you just told us, what, what's the connection from that story to Mary Monarch then? I mean, I know David is the honored so king. Without, so David's efforts to, to grow the nation or to build the nation, um, included the arts. And so at a time where, and that's why the missionaries took his power away from him because they saw all the parties and they saw the hula and they were like, these people are savages, sacrilegious. You know, they started getting all Christian and and what ultimately ended up happening is that it, it was a little bit about the money because that's how the government was overthrown is that Lili Uokalani, when she did ascend the throne, decided to put a restriction on the boats that could dock in Hawaii. And because of that, they charged her with treason. And it would have, and so the missionary party who overthrew the Marniki, these are the, the kids and the grandkids of the original missionaries who initially came to Hawaii and developed the the written language and who were who were given land to live on um and so their their descendants Very ultimately became businessmen they turned the land into sugar plantations and when and when the ali'i wanted to protect their people by restricting visitors <laughs> kind of Sounds familiar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They <laughs> sure does. Huh? They took her out. They overthrew her because it wouldn't have been good for business. You know, that sounds like a great documentary, Tim. I think you should start working on that. <laughs> Got my hands full <laughs> with one already. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, Ali'i uh, translated roughly just is royal. Ali'i is. Um, I wouldn't say royalty. Ali'i is a leader. Mm -hmm. And there are different levels of Ali'i. There are different types of Ali'i. Um, you could you could become an Ali'i. You could be born an Ali'i. Most Ali'i were born Ali'i. They were planned, you know, prior prior to their birth. Like their, their conception was planned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. And so when you hear the word ali'i there is um uh, it's it's kind of i don't want to use the word sacred but it's couple in the sense that the ali'i or the leader would have so much investment in that person prior to them assuming the leadership position um that and there were a lot of requirements too. Like they had to be very high. Their genealogy had to be highest of highest ranking genealogies. I know that Ali'is were bred 
mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. to be leaders. You know, just to extrapolate a little bit here, I, we've been talking about when they reopen the airlines and they bring and visitors from all over the world come back to Hawaii. We're hoping that they do it correctly, obviously, that they do a good job. But I, I'm very fearful that that, and I only semi-jokingly say that that could be like Captain Cook bringing the diseases to the islands. You know, when they reopen and if they don't do it right, you know, we, we've kind of dodged the bullet here, you know, mm-hmm. not to drift into a COVID conversation. But what you're talking about, there's <laughs> there's parallels there, you know. And it's, it's scary to me because we've, you know, we only have, what, 76 cases on the big island, nobody even hospitalized. And, you know, they open it up and print, people start bringing it here. Look out, you know, it scares me. Well, I think yeah. that the COVID-19 is just the icing on the unhealthy cake that tourism has been feeding us since it was established. Yeah. So it's, it's unhealthy in the sense that it's so driven by capital. And I think by this point in humanity, everyone pretty much understands that capitalism is unhealthy for our environment. And so any kind of or form of capitalism is going to be unhealthy wherever it is. Well, that leads us to an interesting um, topic, Sage, because particularly in this COVID-19 era, I've been hearing the word sustainability all the time, especially here in Hawaii. And that's a, that's sort of a, I guess a, part of that is the fact that tourism isn't here anymore. People are seeing that Hawaii is so reliant on tourism. They're talking about sustainability and other ways to drive the economy and to make things work here. What, when when we talk about sustainability in Hawaii, you know, what what do you think of? I think of limiting the amount of people who can live here. You know, it's a hard truth for some, but it's the reality. An island can only stay and so, sustain so many people with its natural resources at the rate that we are going. If we are going to continue to let people here, let people live here. So like, for example, my baby daddy um, builds these really beautiful, expensive homes. And I'm always like, you know, local people aren't going to be able to buy those homes, (laughs) right? Mm. So in his mind, he's like, well, I'm just going to make enough money so that I can build those rentals for people who need the affordable housing. And that's the biggest problem is that we allow people who don't live here to to purchase property and not live on it. And it forces the, the local people or the residents to have to compete with real estate prices that they don't make the income to meet. Mm -hmm. So sustainability can mean so many different things. Mm -hmm. Sustainability is not just growing your own garden in your backyard. Sustainability is energy. How are are we going to get energy? How are we going to keep the lights on? How are we going to have clean, fresh water for everyone to drink? 
Now, the ancient Hawaiians, they had this figured out and they they were able to sustain millions of people. But they had a specific, they had it down to a science. So problem is when Christianity comes and or or other cultures come and impose what has worked for their environment on our environment, it doesn't work here because we do not live in the Middle East. <laughs> we do not live in Europe. We do not live in Ireland. We live in on in the you know, basically on the tip top of the equator. And so our our environment here is very different. And we can learn from other cultures. We can see how people do things. But ultimately, um, we have to be in alignment with our own environment in order to make sustainability possible. Because if we keep trying to align ourselves to other people's environment, doesn't make any sense. That's just stupid. So. Tell us how you really feel. Really? <laughs> I love it because years ago, I used to come to the Big Island when my, my brother lived here and I loved it. You know, Old Town Hilo was just so perfect. And I moved from Oahu specifically to get away. I mean, I had that mentality in high school growing up, like pull up the bridge, we're full no more people, you know, and coming to the Big Island where we've got space and we've got, you know, land. But yet, you know, keeping the the reality of now, if we didn't have boats coming in, you know, how could we sustain what we've got here? You know, and it's people doing what needs to be done. And I mean, we talked about this in, in other episodes. You step up and you do what you need to do. But um, it is interesting. And I always laugh when I hear someone who's recently moved here and say, well, you know, in Arkansas, we do it like this, you know, and it's like, well, maybe it's time to go back to Arkansas, you know. Well, guess what? We're in Hawaii. So it's real interesting. I appreciate where you're coming from. Yeah, what's really interesting to me is that the Hawaiian culture used to do aquaculture and mm -hmm. their methods of um, – uh, growing ag agricultural crops and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that's that's what we're kind of going back to. So it's really strange how, you know, the ancient Hawaiians were practicing sustainability, and now we find ourselves going back to exactly what they did way back then. I mean, isn't it amazing? Well, it's necessary. It is. It's necessary. And I think that people are starting to realize that because other people around the world are starting to realize that about their environment. Yeah. You got guys in the Bronx. What's his name? Something. Elon Musk's brother. Mm. He's doing these like um, container farms. Yeah. So I he gets these huge that. mats and containers and he does like hydroponic farming in these huge mats and containers cool. in, in the middle of New York City. And so even people who live in the city are starting to realize like, hey, man, this whole like consumerism thing is very um, unhealthy for us. And, and we're not going to make it if we continue that way. And we have an opportunity right now to do something different. 
coming out of this pandemic. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have woken yeah. up to exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, if we, if we do it right, maybe we can change things around. Yeah, I think a lot of people are waking up and it's it's hard because we're evolving, right? So like my um my grandmother was the first generation of people born in YPO Valley to leave the valley. Uh, wow. And and then there was my dad and she took my dad and raised him in Honolulu where he, you know, went to high school there and stuff and they would come back and visit and everything. But he actually didn't start going back to Valley until after she passed away. Um, but I, I think it's this um, dependency on consumerism and everyone's guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it. And yeah. I think we just don't know how to not be dependent on Clorox wipes. <laughs> you know or base dish soap dawn Mm. soap you know things that we use every day in our in our lifestyle sustainability means also be able being able to wipe your ass without having to depend on you know a boat bringing in the toilet paper for you when when you look at the different levels of sustainability, you got to look at everything from from this hole to the other hole. <laughs> you're looking at you're not just looking at agriculture. Yeah. You're also looking at things like waste management. Yeah. Our our mixed recycle is no longer anymore because Trump ruined our relationship with China, so they're no longer taking our mixed recycles. So every single bottle of laundry detergent that we buy is going to go straight into our island in the dirt. Our daughters will live on a tampon hill because everything that we buy is going to get buried in our land. And that's really dangerous. And I, I don't know if people have really thought about that because I go to Target to buy diapers for my kid on the weekend and that place is raging mm-hmm. like you just need to wait in the parking lot for like 30 minutes just to get a parking super far away so we're so dependent on consumerism I think it's gonna take a lot of a lot of mental conditioning to get us to a place where we have a minimal dependency on imported goods Sage's two-hole paradigm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. You're right. I, You're right. Yeah. Yeah, civilizations cannot... You've, you've never seen a civilization exist on planet Earth without some kind of infrastructure that filters water, whether it's freshwater or wastewater. Mm. Yeah. And so as a functioning society, we need to figure out those kinds of things. Responsibility. Well, that's one of the beauties about East Hawaii. We have water. <laughs> For now. God, God knows we have water. Speaking of water, I need to get some coffee. Coffee? More <laughs> coffee, Bruce? <laughs> coffee break. Bruce needs coffee. coffee. All right, Bruce. Well, while you're getting more coffee, this is a good opportunity for me to 
explain that we receive a small commission if you buy anything we promote or endorse on this podcast at zero cost to you. And we always link those products on our website. And Sage, you may you may be clever enough to figure out this is a thinly veiled attempt at an advertisement we're doing here. Um, because, Bruce, I know what coffee you drink. What kind of coffee are you drinking? Yeah, I drink Kau Mana, which is 100% uh, Kau grown coffee. That's your brand, Mana? What's the story with that? Yeah, Kau Mana. Um, I've been drinking coffee since I was a kid. And <laughs> I just love coffee. I used to be hooked on Kona coffee, but then I tried Kau coffee. And Kau coffee is smooth. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. <laughs> he sounds like a salesman, doesn't he? Yeah, I was. I, I, Bruce got me a a bag of his Mana coffee yesterday. I drank it this morning, and it is really good. And I have a total conflict of interest here because we are going to start selling Bruce's coffee on our website. So uh, this is completely biased, but it really is good. And we just thought, hey, Bruce drinks this stuff all the time. He drinks it way too much, actually. So let's give people an opportunity to buy that coffee, support Bruce. And Bruce has been so generous; he's going to give. Five bucks a bag of any coffee he sells to the On Hawaiian Time podcast. Wow. So Where can we find that coffee? <laughs> on HawaiianTimePodcast.com. There you go. In our merch shop. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Bruce. You're welcome. Yeah. Hey, and while you're there, you could pick up an On Hawaiian Time mug. Yeah, you can get your coffee mug to go with your coffee. There you go. Nice. When we started this podcast idea and we were looking for an appropriate title, um, the On Hawaiian Time uh, title was a suggestion, and I wanted to run it by someone who was immersed in the Hawaiian culture, just to make sure that the title was Pono or good. You know, so I gave Sage a call, and uh, she thought it was a great idea. It was a great <laughs> title, so <laughs> I'm glad because. Uh, I'm always running on Hawaiian time. That means <laughs> running late, always, just like today. <laughs> and that's a good thing. So, Sage, I, kn- Must I know Must run in the family up- then, huh, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the things that, that came up when we brought up that title was, like, I've never actually heard the, the expression on Hawaiian time, but I had heard the expression on island time. And mm. some people think, oh, that's derogatory. That's that's something you wouldn't say because um, you're picking on somebody for being late or, or taking it slowly. Or being I, lazy. Uh, yeah, but I, I always took that to mean a very positive thing. Like you're being very deliberate. You're you're taking your time. Um, you're taking in the environment. You're, you're breathing, you know, and you're sort of – unplugging and unwinding a little bit. I always thought that was a positive thing. And then, I, I don't know, I heard at some point that maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just depends on intention, you know. Mm-hmm. I've never heard it. I personally don't know anyone who has been offended by it. I could see if it, their stereotype of implying that Hawaiians are you know, always late as people that could be offensive, but there's actually a science behind it. Have you guys thought about that? Mm. Ooh, sounds good. I hadn't. 
<laughs> no. So you know, <laughs> you know that where we are in the Pacific Ocean, um, we're we're like you know relatively between the continental United States and China. How is it that the continental United States is four hours ahead of us, right? And then China is, or Japan is like a day and a half ahead of us, right? Yeah. So today, right now is tomorrow in China. So the real, the mm -hmm. science behind it really is that Hawaiians, I guess the way that I don't know how, is there a name for this type of science that determines how we tell time? Do you Go guys know? Google it. Google I it. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that they how they count the days, right? So time is basically each degree that the earth rotates is a minute. And so you add those degrees up and and you get like your your average hour or minute or 24-hour day, whatever, right? I'm not sure exactly what the correct terminology is for it, but as the, the earth rotates, um, it creates, that's how days are created. So that's how time is created. So somehow, some way, someone decided that Hawaii would be like the last, the last <laughs> part of the rotation. <laughs> Yeah, perfect, because I, like it. I wouldn't want to get up any earlier. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking. Thank goodness we don't have daylight savings time or any of that. Horology is the study of time, according to our friends at oh, Google. Oh, cool. Nice. And then the other, the other scientific thing I feel like, too, is it has a lot to do with heat and humidity. Hmm. So we are closer to the sun than other areas in the world. Because we're on the equator, right? So we're hotter. Naturally, our temperature is warmer. And whenever you have heat, you will have moisture. And so although we may not see the moisture in the air every day, all day, we think of moisture in the air as rain, right? But the Hawaiians believe that there's always moisture in the air. And the word, the English word for that, I believe, is humidity. So <laughs> when you... You know, when you're kind, when you're hot and moving in a space that has moisture in it, you probably will move differently than an organism or a molecule that is living at a colder temperature or a drier temperature or a drier climate. So I think it just has to do with chemistry or whatever, mm -hmm. how our bodies sort of react to the environment that we're in. So we're a science-based podcast, right? <laughs> you know, I always thought that on Hawaiian time just meant casual, you know, show up whenever, you know? Yep, exactly. So it's okay. Well, we are products of our environment. Yeah, so. sure, sure. I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I think someone quoted saying, better late than never, which I love that. <laughs> Just as a disclaimer, we are not scientists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we are Googlers. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we play one on TV. Um, Sage, can we um, get back to something you were discussing earlier in the episode um, regarding YPO Valley? Um, uh huh. And your connection there. When I first came to visit Hawaii, 
my wife and I drove to the Overlook, which in it is stunningly beautiful. But I was told you can't go into YPO Valley as a visitor unless you've been invited by someone who lives in YPO Valley. And it, there seems to be this mystery, an aura about YPO Valley. And you seem to have an intimate connection to YPO I mean, I obviously that's not necessarily true because there are visitors driving down there every day mm-hmm. when they shouldn't be. I think my next political move is to restrict drivers to um, residents only because it's really if you don't know how to drive down there. I have been going down there my whole life and my dad and my baby dad won't let me drive when the kids are in the car. So there's a, there's a there's a physical issue why people shouldn't drive down there, but there's also a cultural issue. Well, culture is physical. I think that people misunderstand. I think we got to go back to the basics. The root word of culture is our way of life. And our way of life is governed by how we relate to our environment. And that's very physical. It's 100% physical. So we have to remember that we we cannot let these, you know, the the mythology of these terms kind of take us away from the reality of it. Everything, I think, even in the Bible, it's like, OK, well, don't have sex outside of your marriage, obviously, because you're going to get STDs and spread them around, right? So when you don't have condoms or abortion or whatever, abstinence, they say, is the key, right? Or just pick one and roll with it so you don't, like, spread your diseases all around. Very, And then people just think, oh, you know, it's superstition or it's religious. But every religion, every culture is based on practicality. And that, and that is based on your physical relationship with your environment. Well, why, so, why is it as, as a visitor or a tourist, um, people won't tell me, don't go to Hapuna Beach, but they'll tell me, don't go to Waipio. Because Hapuna has a paved parking lot mm-hmm. that you can drive <laughs> into right, <laughs> and walk down. Waipio is not a safe environment. If you don't know what you're doing, you could get really hurt. When I was in college, I asked my grandmother to share with me some olelo noea or some proverbial sayings about Waipio Valley. And she shared with me one that she heard her uncle tell a visitor, a tourist, when she was a young child. She said that a visitor came and asked her uncle how to get to the beach. And he responded to that visitor in Hawaiian. And he said, Pau hi'o, Pau po'o. Which means that if you go into the water, your head is going to snap and you're going to die. And that visitor... <laughs> wow. no. All right. And that, that visitor did die at the beach. Whoa. No way. Wow. Because the valley, the water that comes down the valley goes out into the river, any scientist will understand the concept of a riptide, right? So you're you're having this water rushing down a river, rushing through a river into the ocean, and that ocean is breaking into the river. And so what you have is a really gnarly undertow 
the, the water pressure is colliding, causing a riptide. So a lot of people drown in riptides because they don't know how to swim in it. Initially, your instinct is to swim to the surface. But when you're trying to survive a riptide, what you have to do is swim down under the current until it passes and then you can get up. Because if you try to go through the current while it's colliding with the incoming waves, you're not going to make it. You're going to get sucked out. So a lot of culture is practicality. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. And respect. 100%. And the road there is a really, really old road. Um, My uncle's dynamited that road (laughs) it was a a horse trail before and it wasn't paved and my grandmother used to walk up this hill every single day to go to school barefoot she would ride her horse to the river jump in a canoe to cross the river and then walk up the hill to go to school every day and then walk back home and her aunties would pick her up on the horse and take her back home Wow, that's amazing. Oh, that's at what crazy. time? At what point? I mean, I've heard this. There was a huge population in YPO. How many people mm-hmm. were living there at at probably millions? The, millions. Hmm. Wow. Really? Because it wasn't it wasn't only YPO. It was Waimanu. So mm-hmm. my family actually comes from Waimanu, which is the next valley over. Wow. Um, and then there's a series of valleys until you get to Pololu, which is in Kohala. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've done that so, hike. Um, I can't imagine living in there. That is incredible. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh. Well, if DLNR keeps taking care of that public toilet, <laughs> it'll stay beautiful. <laughs> but um, yeah, Waimanu is beautiful. And so, yeah, that's where my family comes from. And I think Just in general, I think anybody probably should not venture into an area that is unstable and they're not familiar with without Mm -hmm. having someone who is familiar with the area kind of go down. Just a safety precaution. When I was living in China, there was a little hill that I lived um, at the foot of and I wanted to go hiking up that hill. It didn't seem like a big deal. But people were telling me not to go because it's not safe for women to be hiking in the in the nature by themselves. And so um, I wasn't very headstrong. I was like, all right, if the local people are telling me that I'm going to listen to the local people. So I had I always went with friends. There was always like a group of us who went. And those are the people who um, either had gone before or um, have lived there longer than than I have. The road going down to Waipio is one of the steepest paved roads, at least a mile in length, um, one of the steepest roads on the planet. Wow. Yeah. There was a local people from Oahu who drove down and they drove through the river road and they still had water in their engine when they were driving up the hill. Their truck stalled out in the middle of YPO, the the hill going up. And it was in a part of the road that was so narrow, no one could go around. So we all had to stop. There were like, and YPO during the day, it can be very busy. So there was at least like four or five cars behind. Two of them were ours. 
And then the other two came up behind. So if that truck would have started rolling down the hill, we all would have been wiped out. Mm-hmm. So when you go you, living on an island, like thinking about your own safety is is uh, ignorant mm-hmm. because yeah. what you do impacts other people. Yeah, it's like thinking drinking and driving. Yourself. Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's like drinking and driving. It's like people think, nah, I'm good to drive. I'll be okay. Really? (laughs) Well, what about the other people on the road that you might be swerving into? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so selfish. What is, um, Sage, what is your favorite place on the big island? What is your favorite? My favorite place on the big island? Um, YPO. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's one of mine too. I mean, it's so beautiful. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably my favorite place on the big island. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Bruce? Oh, it's got to be. I mean, there are three places on the the island that I really love. Waipiwa is one of them. Summit of Mauna Kea is the other. And then Kilauea, of course, is. uh, Why, Bruce? Why why do you like Kilauea so much, Bruce? (laughs) Hmm. Let me think. <laughs> has something to do with that orange stuff. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this yeah. is something that our family has an issue with. Like, we make stupid jokes that we think are super funny. I'm glad I don't do that. <laughs> Even... <laughs> What did one volcano say to the other? I don't know. You're hot. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys say my jokes are bad. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Any more, Bruce? Uh, Wait a second. Do do we have a joke monitor here? Uh, Is the joke monitor in attendance? Yeah. The joke police? Apparently, I am the joke police. I have the last say because I edit the podcast and some people don't like it when jokes don't make the final cut. I have a joke, but I'm afraid to even tell it. You know? What's your joke? I want to know your joke, Mick. <laughs> well, uh, what was the first thing that Adam said to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Oh, this is going to be good. Uh-oh. I have no idea. <laughs> Stand back. I don't Uh-oh. know how big this thing gets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that'll get cut. You don't have to worry about it, Sage. It will I, never show I, I up. I gotta be honest with you. I, I don't really get it. Hello. Uh-oh. I mean, I get it, but... It, it, Andrea will explain it to no, you I, later. No, I, I understand, but like, is it a joke or is it... Never mind. It's fact. It's historical fact. You see why I have a problem? This is the joke police over here that's saying, I don't get it. Show of hands. All right, let's, do, let's have a democracy. Show of hands. Should that joke stay in the episode? Mick's hand is up. Sage hands is up. Bruce is not. <laughs> Anne is not. Oh and I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the tiebreaker, I guess. <laughs> but it's okay, but it's okay to leave Bruce's joke in. See see what I'm up against. Bruce's Sage? are so tame though. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Is Mick's Boy. tame? Or? Okay. <laughs> Your call. All I can do is provide the material, you know, if you laugh, you I, laugh. I haven't once you know. cut a joke <laughs> where I was in the minority in terms of we always vote, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, let's put that well, one in. I want that one. Oh in. wow! Annie's changing now her vote. Yeah. Patronize me, huh? No! Oh my god! 
Uh, if, if the majority <laughs> votes yes, and right now the majority's voted yes, it stays yes. in. Yes, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's how it works. Good yeah. enough. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sage, thank you so much um, for joining us. Thanks, Sage. That was yeah, great. Mahalo, Sage. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't mind doing this again and have interview questions for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Like Sounds that. good. <laughs> Hey guys, Tim here, inserting a little edit into the show just to let you know that you've only heard half of our conversation with Sage. We spoke for nearly another hour, and you can hear the rest of that conversation in our next episode, episode eight. Here's a little sample of what you'll hear. That oral tradition is one of the canonical pieces in Hawaiian literature. And... It's been dismissed as mythology. It's been dismissed as legend, um, like like a lot of other Hawaiian stories. And I'm so blown away that the 2018 eruption happened the way it did. Because the way that the story is told, the way that the Hi'iaka Ikapolio Pele story is told, is exactly what we've seen with the 2018 eruption. Now back to our closing traffic of episode seven. So hey guys, another episode in the books. Don't forget, we're running a contest through May 31st, 2020. Go to com and click on the contest link. The winner gets a $100 Amazon.com e-gift card. I want one, I want one. <laughs> Not for employees. Oh. <laughs> So you guys want bonus content? Well, go to the very top of onhawaiantimepodcast.com and sign up for our email updates. We'll give you a free trial of OHT Plus through the end of June. You'll hear the bloopers and a lot of other stuff that we're embarrassed to even put out, but we're going to be chatting about <laughs> before we actually start the podcast. I can't believe we're doing this, but um, you know, this is all up to our illustrious producer. And we love you guys. And occasionally we'll give you some information regarding coupons that'll give you discounts towards our merchandise we make available on our website. That's on hawaiantimepodcast.com. You can also support us by buying some of our stuff, including my coffee, <laughs> and an On Hawaiian Time mug. Click the merch link on our website. We want to give a special thanks to Joel Marcus, who designed our logo, and to Jamie at Silver Line Sound. Hey, so if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do it now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us attract advertisers, and we need that to keep this podcast going. I'm Mick Calber. I'm Bruce Omari. I'm Ann Calber. I'm Tim Coakley. And you've been... On, on Hawaiian, Hawaiian Time! time. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs>